0: Everyone say, I, I desire to be a part of the remnant. Amen, amen, amen.
1: Have your Bibles open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter three, while you're doing that, there is um, in Washington d c. this weekend, it's called the um, I have a it's one rally. And if you get on Jeremiah Johnson's page or Lance Wall now, oh, as one rally, um, it has it, it recorded live, and I watched part of it last night. And about 50 minutes in, I'm not exactly sure, Lance Walnow prays and speaks, and it was wonderful. And then following him, there was a time of prophetic worship that was very interesting, very good. And then following him was Mars Morello speaking, and I didn't get to listen to that. And then there's more today. Probably Jeremiah Johnson will be there today. It's just, it's. It wasn't a super big crowd, but the interesting thing was there has been week after week after week after week these prayer groups going into Washington, D.C., and I just thought that it was powerful, and it was free, prophetic. and it was prophetic, and it was in Washington, D.C. So I would encourage you, if you have time, to watch that um, they have not posted yet the Jeremiah Johnson service that we attended last Saturday night. They've done the two from Sunday morning. They had a big ice storm down there, and it slowed them down, I think. But they are going to send us a link to it. So when we get that, we will um, let you have that. In Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, he says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He talks about in verse three. 13 evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse deceiving many but the 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 solution to that he gives you is in verse 10 and in verse 14 verse 10 says but you have carefully followed My doctrine or good, correct doctrine. And then in verse 14, but you must continue in the things you have learned. And that is sound doctrine. And it's very important right now. Like if you haven't noticed, evil men and imposters are growing worse and worse. And even people in the church, even those in the church can be deceived and it isn't going to let up. So. The thing that prevents deception and prepares us for the future is understanding and adhering to sound doctrine. So we're really going to be making a push on that in the next few weeks. Beginning at Genesis 1.1, and it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That is sound doctrine. That's the very beginning. That's basic. It's simple. But we have to believe and understand that there is one true God. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and the end. It is not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's not Mother Earth. And it's not us humans. It is the one and only, the most high God, maker of heaven and earth, Jehovah, with the many titles, a few of which are Al Shaddai Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisai, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Salaam. And years ago, apostles of the faith put a creed together so that we as believers would understand the b- very basic, what the doctrine of of Jesus Christ is, and it begins with, it's called the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Make no mistake, that's what we believe here. And there is no wiggle room on that basic doctrine, and you need to get that established in your thinking. Once you've established that belief, then recognize and adhere to the word of God and recognizing and adhering to the word of God should never be an issue. The Bible is his will and it's his word. It is the instruction manual that we live by and it needs to be read and studied in its entirety and in context. The thing that's deceiving people right now are they're taking bits and portions and not taking it all in context from beginning to the end. It should not be picking and choosing and trying to make it say what we want want it to or what we think about, what we want it to be. So we're going to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. I know that really, it had a lot to do about tithes and offerings because in taking the word in context, and as this is our instruction manual, it gives us a lot of information about finances. And we just want to thank you. You're faithful. Continue to be faithful in your tithes, in your offerings, and as you, as you do that, ushers, you can go ahead and receive this morning's ties and offerings. And just let me re- enforce the fact that this is Victory Week, and this year has been—you've heard them say it—it's been a year of reset. But make no mistake; right now we are at the beginning phases of the restart. We need to push the restart button. We were born for such a time as this. So, don't hang your heads. Don't be afraid. God is on the move, and He's not going to be defeated. And go vote, vote morality, vote for life, not for death. And you shouldn't have to go any further than that.
0: Me, uh, go ahead and receive, receive the offering and offerings. But I listened. I listened to um, prophetic voices in this hour and apostles, and I listened to two prophets the other day, and they basically made this statement. If you vote for Biden, you vote with the Democratic Party, you are putting yourself in covenant with death. And they said, um, if you have voted that way, then you need to repent lead the blood of Jesus. I don't think we, we understand how what happens when you hook yourself up to death. There'll be judgment. Amen? Look in your Bible's Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua, chapter 1. I want to read to you. This has been our text for a long time. I have a lot of information, and I won't give it all to you today. But I, I just always pray that I do it by the Spirit of God that you receive What you need, and when you come in through those doors on Sunday morning, you need to have your expectors going. You need to expect God to to speak to you through his word. Amen? And he will. He's faithful. In Joshua chapter 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass. The Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. To the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. We need, that's good for us right now. Be strong! But you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do you think that's the word of the Lord for us now? Do you think that's changed? I don't. I think he still expects us to be strong and of good courage. Now... I'm going to do something because I'm going to read to you. You just can listen because the way I operate when I teach or preach, or I'm mainly an exhorter. I'm I've, I'm an exhorter. I'm an encourager. I want to give you and and read to you what we've been preaching and teaching this last year. I'm going to just read it to you and just listen and. Some of you will remember, some of you have already forgotten. No amens? And then we'll get off into some new, new thing, new material. But listen to what I've been ministering this, this last year, especially starting in the spring. This was the purpose of our, our uh, series, which is entitled Pre- Prepare... Proceed and possess. This is what the, where the church is going into right now is possessing their spiritual inheritance, which we see in Psalm 2. Now, listen. Recognize. This is the first one. Recognize and embrace a new season. Israel had a new leader. We just read that. New assignment. A new anointing. The church today is in the same process of transformation, experiencing a new move of God. Just like Israel, this will require a crossing over mentality. In other words, we have to cross the Jordan. It will require also strength and courage. Harvest Church in this new season must, say must, must make changes in our pursuit of God in order to cross over into higher levels of influence and productivity. We're going to have to change the way we think, our attitude. God is calling us to a deeper consecration, deeper intimacy with Him. We must understand it's the beginning of a new season, a new decade. We must take things more serious. Everyone must step up say step up. step up the church can't hold on to its old traditions of the past and expect to bear fruit for God in the future a new season requires a new attitude disobedience and complaints will get you nowhere god's new season will bring opposition if you think after this elections over it's all going to settle down <laughs> It will, but we're going to go through a period. It's going to be kind of rocky. God's new season will bring opposition and a spiritual battle. God's new season, now listen, this this is important, will require us, the church in general, Harvest Church, will require an investment in a new generation of leaders. These young ones. Amen? We, I, I gave you this, and, and Jeremiah Johnson said this. Kathy saw it on his website, and I, I listened to it. And he was perplexed why the, the young ones were not hooking up into church. And he said, many people raise their kids in the church, but not in Christ. Drop them off and let the youth leader take care of them. Babysit them. It begins at home. The next thing. Make sure I got this. Said it all. The advance of God's kingdom. Now listen. Is the result A fervent prayer. We pray twice a week. Fervent prayer and a declaration of God's word and pressing in. Then we said, there is a separation from the world occurring. There's a separation from the world occurring. And let me tell you something. There's a separation in the church occurring. I use the word remnant. It's the remnant that's going to rise up in the days ahead. The rest of the church will fall by the wayside. That's why I say you better make sure you're a member of the remnant church. The nation of Israel was called to be a holy people set apart and dedicated to God's sacred purposes. Leviticus 19.2 says, You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You and I as believers are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We were bought, say I was bought, at a price, say at a price. And we are to glorify God in our bodies in spirits which are God's. This body, this spirit belongs to God. We stated that Satan is referred to as the ruler of this world and the God of this age. And it always, you know, you locate people when they start blaming God for all this that's going on. And they have no idea that Satan is the God of this world. We define that as cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S, and it depicts the arena where Satan attempts to wield his influence over the economy, religion, the media, the entertainment political systems do we see that certainly cosmos refers to the people who are anti anti god the spirit of cosmos is none other than satan himself now look at first timothy chapter 3 first timothy chapter 3 i want to define the word church 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul says, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you, verse 15, how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. I like that. People should know how to conduct themselves in the house of God, which is the what? Church of the living God. The pillar and the ground of the truth. Now, this Greek word it comes, this word is in two parts. E-K, which means separation, and K-A-L-E-O, which means to call. And you, you hear this, I, I listen to Dutch Sheets, I listen to Tim Sheets, his brother, I listen to some other prophetic voices, and they use this Greek word for church, ekklesia. Have you heard that? Ecclesia is defined as those who are called and separated to a prestigious assembly. Those who are called and separated to a prestigious assembly. The New Testament meaning is this. The local church is a body of individuals who have been called forth and separated for the purposes of God. The Greek scholar Rick Renner defines it this way. He said, God never intended for the local church to be simply a quiet, hidden body of believers. Rather, he intended for a church to be his voice and ruling power in each community, a special assembly comprised of people who have been called out to make decisions that will impact the atmosphere of their local environment for God. Therefore, when the New Testament used the word ecclesia to depict the local church, it is conveying an incredibly important message right from the start. God's plan for each congregation was not that they hide and cower in fear in their basement, But rather that they rise to a position of power and influence in the place where God has called them to fulfill their specific assignment for the region. The church was intended to be a brilliant beacon of light in the midst of a dark troubled town, city and region. The believers in the early testament were suffering terribly as a direct consequence of persecution. Church meetings had to be conducted in secret because swift retribution would be brought upon them if their actions were ever made known. That's just like in China the underground church. Yet despise the fact Despite the fact that these believers were suffering immensely and focused to meet in secret, Christ still acknowledged them for who they were, his ecclesia, called out from the world and separated to exercise spiritual power over the bleak and seemingly hopeless atmosphere that surrounded them. Regardless of how dark and oppressive the situation seemed to be or how much these believers struggled, it didn't change Jesus's view of them, they were his precious appointed ecclesia, his governing body in their respective town, city, and region. And that is how Jesus views the local church. Each body of believers has its own specific specific assignment. Each believer is assigned to a specific ecclesia. All local bodies fit within a larger common purpose, that of furthering the kingdom of God on this earth by equipping the saints and being an influence of God's truth and righteousness to a lost world. So we're part of the ecclesia, the local church, but there's a bigger body. Amen? And we have a job to do. Look at Acts 8. Acts chapter 8. See, the church means the called out ones, separated for God's purpose. We'll go through Acts here. In Acts 8, instead of using the word church, I'm going to use the, the words called out ones. Look at it in, in Acts 8, one. It says, now Saul was consenting to his death. At the time, a great persecution arose against the called-out ones, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. As for Saul, he made havoc of the called-out ones, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the called out ones throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Look at Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the called-out ones. Now look at Acts 20, one more. Acts 20, verse 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the called-out ones of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, are you getting the point? See, we're, we're called out of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the spirit of the world. Great book Steve Gallagher writes in his book, Intoxicated with Babylon. He writes this. He says the church of Jesus Christ was born in spectacular fashion. Conversions were thorough and remarkable. Conditions before and after salvation were dramatically different. Converts understood that they would face persecution and possibly even death. Can you see how the people of God in the early church lived in a definite state of separation from the unsaved around them? Those dear people would probably weep if they saw how apathetic and unseparated from the world are God's called out ones of today. The author of the book of Hebrews poses a sobering question to all who profess Christianity. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? What happens when a person responds to God's call to enter his kingdom and yet retains his ties to the devil's kingdom? Jesus, the one who hung on the cross to purchase a people for himself, made it very clear that this is not possible. No one, he said, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He who is with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now listen to this statement. This will get you thinking. Half-hearted devotion to Christ is not merely unacceptable, it is impossible. It takes time for a person's consecration level to mature, of course. But it is doubtful, now listen, this is important. It is doubtful a person who never changes was ever truly converted in the first place. And I read that, and it makes me think, you know, people come in and you give them an opportunity to invite Christ in their life and be born again. But if if it's not heartfelt, if it doesn't come from your heart, if you're just saying words just like churches can do the Apostle Creed week after week after week, and it's just words, there's no meaning to it, it's important when we pray, it comes from our heart, amen? Look at um, 2 Corinthians. I want to get to something else here. Um, Let me read. I I found this. I'm going to. This is Jeremiah Johnson's book. This is one that he just wrote. It's called Judgment on the House of God. Cleansing and glory are coming. Let me see if I can find it. I should have marked it. I read this and it just amazed me. Okay. The Lord called, recalled to me. This is Jeremiah Johnson, prophet. The Lord recalled to my memory... An incident that happened several years ago. I'd been invited to observe the services of a large church. The pastor wanted me to spend a day with his church and then share with him any prophetic insights the Lord may have given him. I sat through their five Sunday services and met with him afterward. Jeremiah, he asked, what do you think about what you witnessed today? Sir, to be honest with you, uh, when you get a prophet, you better watch what you ask for. Sir, to be honest with you, I began, in terms of excellence, I do not believe your worship team missed one note. And your sermons were as polished as I've ever heard. However, there was no real tangible glory of God that marked any of what was done today. He was flabbergasted, the preacher. I looked at him and asked, do you know, now listen, this blew me away. Shouldn't have, but it did. Do you know if any of the members of the worship band up on stage are even saved? They looked and sounded like professionals to me. They're the finest musicians we could hire, he responded, and we pay each one of them. No, you keep your ears. Put your hand on your ears. You hear me? Put your fingers in your ears, worship leader. We pay each of them $500 every Sunday to play for our services. Okay, I agreed, aware I was on sensitive ground. Have you ever asked if they're saved and have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ? Do you know that they are not actively living in sin? The pastor stared at me. I continued, so if they're not saved, whose presence exactly are they leading the congregation into every Sunday? Sir, you have brought foreigners into the house of God who are not circumcised in heart, God is not pleased with your actions, and you need to repent. He showed me the door and asked me never to return again. Francis Chan speaks to what he described as an entertainment spirit that has overtaken parts of the house of God. According to Chan, the benchmark of success in church services has become more about attendance than the movement of the Holy Spirit. The entertainment model of church was largely adopted in the 80s and 90s, and while it alleviated some of our boredom for a couple hours a week, it filled our churches with self-focused consumers rather than self-sacrificing servants attuned to the Holy Spirit. The house of God was never created to become a subculture for the world where sinners lead and minister from the stage. The mission of the church is not to entertain, which seemed to be the goal of the church whose services I was asked to observe. The mandate of the church is to make disciples and impact the culture around them with the uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ. I can remember as a young pastor you know, I had a spiritual father had a big church and, and you know, he'd say, well, you're going to have a big church and this. And I'm always thinking, if I have a big church, and then I'm truly successful. Boy, was I wrong. Do you know you can be a pastor of a small church and be successful? When I was young, I thought I had to impress people. And thank God I was delivered early on from the fear of man. I don't give a rat's rump what people think of me. All I care is about what my God thinks of me. And I'm not here to tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear and give you goosebumps. Look at... Uh, Second Corinthians, Chapter Six, and all Chap- Second Corinthians, Chapter Six. Well, I don't know about you, but I know my God is moving. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're talking about the ecclesia. The church should not blend in with the world. 2 Corinthians 6, look at verse 14. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial or what part as a believer with an unbeliever and what agreement has the temple of God with idols for you are the temple of the living God as God has said I will dwell in them and walk among them I will be their God they shall be my people therefore I remember a teacher at school Bible school he said when you see therefore stop and see what it's there for therefore Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit-perfecting holiness, In the fear of God. There are three commandments in that. Number one it says. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This refers to a law found in Deuteronomy 22 verse 10. Which forbid the yoking of an ox with a donkey. Can you imagine having a, a, a donkey and an ox yoked together? How successful do you think that would be? It just wouldn't be productive. This principle applies to a believer. And an unbeliever. The believer's life has been transformed. The unbeliever's life is in darkness. They represent two different kingdoms, light and darkness. And this applies to marriage. A believer should not marry an unbeliever. Now, if you're both unbelievers, which that happens, and you become believers, great. But if you, as a, as a young person, you know you're a believer, you have no business getting serious with an unbeliever that doesn't even believe in Jesus. Boy, that just one amen from a weak one from Pastor Brad. And you're thinking back, well, I don't even know if I was saved. You know, that's the grace of God. He can bring two unbelievers together. Now also the Bible says if you're, if you're a believer and your mate's an unbeliever, guess what? You're, that unbelieving mate can be protected because of the believing mate. And you still need to get your faith out there and believe God that that individual will get born again. This principle applies to a believer and an unbeliever. The believer's life has been transformed. The unbeliever is in darkness. They represent two different kingdoms. Now this applies to marriage, business. You have no reason, if you're a believer, to go in business with an unbeliever. You have no business fellowshipping intimately with an unbeliever if you're a believer. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, Bad company corrupts good morals. Amen. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You are who you hang around. The second commandment is, it says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. There should be a definite distinction between the lives of the believer and the unbeliever. The believer has an eternal perspective. The unbeliever is bound by, you know, his flesh or her flesh and just has a, a temporal vision. You need to realize if you're a believer, you should be separated from the world. You belong to a chosen race. You're part of a royal priesthood a holy nation, you are God's own personal possession. Amen? Then it tells you in Second Corinthians, I just read in chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. You and I as believers can keep ourselves undefiled from the world. world only by the word of God. It's the washing of the water of the word. Romans 12 and verse 1, we're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Holy living requires you and I to fully rely on God's wisdom, the Word of God, and not the wisdom of the world. Amen? Now, we're all in the world. We have, we're around unbelievers at work, where we live. That doesn't mean we need to be jerks and religious. Amen? I've told you this, and if you're new to the church, I'm going to repeat it. Thank you. If you don't have friends that are sinners, shame on you. That doesn't mean you need to act like them, talk like them, think like them, look like them. But I've got friends that are sinners. They know where I stand. Start believing God for friendships, not intimate friendships. But but wherever you're at, at, at the course of your day, they should be able to see Jesus. Let's stand up. They should be able to see Jesus in you and want your Jesus. The, the, The world in the days ahead will only go after what the remnant has. Not religion, not your churches out there. I went by a church today and I can't tell you. I came and told the wife and told the Abe and what I saw on their marquee, I was furious. You have to be a part of the remnant. The rest of the church is going to fall by the wayside. The remnant is the one that's going to do great exploits for God. Father, today I thank you for your goodness. And your mercy for your church in general and for the remnant within the church. I believe I pastor a remnant church. I thank you, Father, that you chose me to pastor a remnant church. Might not be a big church, but it's a remnant church. And I know, Father, that we're going to grow as a church in the days ahead because we're not going to compromise. I pray, Father, that by your Spirit you stir up a fire. Let those embers within your people be stirred up and become a roaring flame to come out of the world and be separate and be an example of Jesus Christ, his love, forgiveness. Oh, thank you, Father God, for empowering and anointing This body of believers in this hour that will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, I declare and decree that these people, because they're part of the remnant and they're not going to compromise, they're going to renew their minds daily with the word of God. You're going to anoint them to do great things for you. And they'll go about doing good and healing all that are oppressed of the devil because God is with the people of Harvest Church. Their speeches with grace seasoned with salt. The wisdom of God will rule and reign in their hearts. And when they open their mouth, that wisdom will pour forth. And they'll have great influence on those people that are in the world around them. Thank you, Father God. This day, what we've heard. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Now I'm going to pray. Scott, Dennis Thielen's brother, they brought him from O'Neill with COVID. They couldn't get his oxygen levels up. And I I prayed yesterday. Let's just get in agreement. He's how old? 55. He's he's not very old. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for Scott today. We bind up that virus in his body in Jesus' name. We command those lungs to fall function. We command his oxygen levels to stay up in Jesus' name. We bind death and loose life upon Scott. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tomorrow night prayer at 7. Amen. we got one more night, but I, re- I really believe it's done. It's done, amen, but we're still going to come together and pray, amen. God bless you. Go out and be a remnant believer, amen. Thank you.